Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you want more information on things we're doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. They mess with things and make our ears bleed. Yes, that was very loud. No one will know what we're talking about, but alrighty, Alex, how are you? Hey, Chris. Hey, man. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks. Get ready to leave again, and so are you. So we're yeah. going to sneak a couple of episodes in real quick. Very sneaky. In the midst of our travel that we're doing this month. You uh, preached a great sermon on uh, you know, Habakkuk 2. I'd love to hear the passage, and then we're going to dive into some fun topics. Yep. We're going to read, I'm going to read 15 to 17 here. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. So this is the fourth woe. Fun one. Uh, yeah. They nice, are, nice and light. Yeah. I feel like they're getting more and more intense. Maybe not. Maybe that's just me. I told someone the other day, I was like, I'm just ready to be done with the woes. <laughs> like, I'm in for two. You're in for two. You're going to wrap up the, the last one. Yeah. Just like, oh, man. I think this is the heaviest of the five. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, and and not to we're not going to go PG thirteen on this, but maybe we'll go PG just if you're listening with. Well, but we do want to. Yeah, so if you've got kids, this may not be the episode to listen with them. Some of the topics we're going to have may not be suitable for them. That's not to say that we are going to use improper language, nor are we going to push any buttons that we shouldn't. Just maybe if you haven't introduced some of these topics to your kids yet, correct? You could you could introduce them. On, on your own terms. And, and if not. you are 45 years old and you're thinking, I don't want to listen to things either, you just, this is not the episode for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. I think there's there's two things I want to talk about as I kind of worked on this. Yeah. There's the uh, the many references to, to drink and drunkenness, to alcohol, and then there's a couple references to um, nakedness and uncircumcision. So let's pick up the the drink one first. As, yeah. I, as I mentioned in the sermon, it's really just interesting that the the woe is to not the one who gets drunk, but to the one who makes his neighbors drink. And you pour out your wrath on them and make them drunk. And, uh, you know, I, I deal with that issue in the sermon, the, the point of this podcast is to talk about some of the things that didn't make it into the sermon. What I want to talk about here is, because I could only give it a very brief mention, is that this passage has been used by certain uh, waves or streams of theology to to say that any use of an alcoholic beverage is sin. And this is part of what they say. Correct. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if the word teetotaling refers to the, the the religious aspect of it, but there are many, and I've heard it before. I've heard mm-hmm. it in my growing up years and even as an adult. There are many who believe that the Bible prohibits the use of alcohol entirely. Like to drink alcohol is a sin. And I've heard this come from from two different branches. One is the the mindset that says the Bible talks very negatively 
about drinking alcohol. Uh, like, like it does in this passage. Like it does in this passage. Yep. And actually what I've heard is that they say that there are two words for alcoholic beverages or for wine in Scripture. One is a, like a non-alcoholic, non-fermented like grape juice, and the other is actual wine. And every time in Scripture you see what seems like a positive mention, like Jesus turning water into wine or Paul telling Timothy to mix some wine in, uh, it's always that grape juicy word, and every time we see it like this, it's always the alcoholic beverage. So they would say the Bible is actually prohibiting the use of alcoholic beverage. So that's kind of one branch. The other branch of this branch is that they would say, well, it's more of a wisdom thing that the Bible is is so hard against drunkenness that you wouldn't even want to get close to that. Like, why would you even want to dabble with that sin? Sure. Like I heard a pastor one time say, uh, being a little bit drunk is be is like saying you're a little bit pregnant. Like there, there's not, there's not a magnitude. It's just it's it's wrong. And why would you even dabble in that? So it's more of a wisdom issue. But then they would say, therefore, it is improper for mm-hmm. a believer in Jesus to to consume alcohol in any level. Uh, so in, in my, just, just my personal life, I don't consume alcohol. It's, it's not something I've been interested in doing, but I have no problem with it. I have no problem being around people. In Mm -hmm. fact, you know, I've bought alcohol for other people. My buddy, we were out, um, eating wings and he told us he was having a baby and I'm like, you're having a baby. Your next beer's on me. Like Mm -hmm. I was so excited for him. Uh, so I have no problem doing that. I just don't, personally partake because I think it's a stretch to say the the use of alcohol is prohibited in scripture. Correct. Yeah. Give me your thoughts. Yeah. So I I do not consume a lot for a lot of different reasons. Uh, in in my life, <clears throat> I've chosen to be extremely wise to the point where Heidi and I have made decisions on like what <laughs> what our limits are, right? So if we go out to eat and one of us were to get a glass of wine, that's the only person who's having one glass of wine at dinner and we're heading home and that person's not driving, things like that. So we've been extremely careful and wise. And part of that's because, the, you know, I have some family history that that trends toward poor usage of alcohol. So I, I'm kind of very careful uh, with it. So with that said, I've chosen the wisdom route. I'm not against it. I've, I have consumed some in my life, but I've never even been close to what, I don't even know what drunk feels like. I, I don't even know that I've ever felt like a tingle from what. So, mm-hmm. so with that said, like when your friend, you, when your pastor or whatever that was that said, you know, you can't be a little bit pregnant, you can have an entire drink or two or three without ever actually feeling the effects of it whatsoever. Right. Right. So just because, and I'm talking about, you know, like maybe a, a beer or something, which I hate the flavor of it. So I have no desire to do that, but you could have a couple of something with having no actual effect on your life whatsoever. So I, I don't, I, that's a totally different thing than being, you, you can't be a little bit pregnant. I agree with that statement, Yeah. but you're not even a little bit drunk if you have one drink, like right, it doesn't right. even affect you to that extent. Right. So that's a misunderstanding <clears throat> of the Correct. reality of 
and a lot of times it's coming from someone who's maybe never had a drink and doesn't know what it really does yeah. to us or for us. Here's the problem. And and back to the, so let's move back to the beginning of the branch. Cause I think the wisdom thing we would both agree with to some extent, there's a lot well, of wisdom in not using alcohol to an extreme. I understand that the wisdom that they're talking about is why would you do any, if it's going to affect you at all. Right. And I get that, but I, I think there's a wisdom piece that we would both agree with. Don't, don't do it to a certain extent. Um, and whether a Christian decides to drink or not is totally up to the Christian. There's a lot of freedom in that. Uh, it, it, but it also can become a problem really quickly, mm-hmm. which is why I've made some pretty strong stances with myself so that you know, hopefully no one will ever be able to say that I did something inappropriate uh, you know, while under the influence of any beverage or anything else. So you know, I'd, I'd have to be injected with something to have – you know what I'm saying? And even then, it's like I'd, I hopefully would be able to – be able to prove to people that I didn't do it on my own accord. So coming back to the, the the opening part of this, you were talking about there's the discussion about wine versus grape juice. And there's there's this well-known – there's a couple of Christian teachers who have done this over the years where they have said wine is alcoholic, grape juice is not. When the Bible's talking about wine negatively in the Bible, it's always talking about the alcoholic kind or the fermented drink. Right. Whereas – it's clearly not talking about the fermented drink when it's talking about it in a positive sense. So I've heard people say when Jesus turned water to wine, it wasn't actually wine. It was just really flavorful grape juice. Right, and that's why it was the best exactly. wine because it was not alcohol. Or when Paul says to Timothy, mix some mix some wine with your water so that it'll settle your stomach. That is actually not the word wine there. It's grape juice. And they've tried to make a case that in Hebrew or in Greek, depending on which testament you're looking at, you've got two different words that are used, one for a fermented drink, one for not. Here's the problem. No, no scholar in the world agrees with that statement. Yeah. Now they disagree with each other, and there are some scholars that will still try to teach this, but but the historians and the the scholars in general are completely at odds with each other about it. And in the end, it seems really unlikely that anybody would just mix grape juice to their water. And the reason for that is that would have no actual effect on water if it's if it's not healthy for you. Right. So the reason why they would mix wine with water is because water potentially had bacteria or other enzymes inside of it that it, that could hurt you. You would mix it with an alcoholic drink of some sort because that alcohol would would offset whatever's inside of it or it would kill off right the very things that are inside. So there's I've never read an actual article that defends it well. So most of the time when I've heard that argument it's from somebody who wants that to be true. Right. But I can't prove it in, in the scriptures, and yeah. I've, I've I've dug into the argument as far as I can, and I was really, it was unsatisfactory and insufficient for me. So I pushed that aside, and then I said, okay, so the Bible seems to be talking about alcoholic beverages, but used in a in a wise way. Yeah, I think to be fair to that camp too, they would say the Timothy thing is for medicinal use, so that's different. Like that's opening the door to uh, using. Using things that affect our bodies, like narcotics, for example, sure. in a medicinally therapeutic use sure. instead of so. But then I would go back to the opening part when we yeah. when you were opening it up, and, and you've got a lot of really good people in your life, and we're not throwing them under the bus here. We're just saying, if if they're starting off with well, a little drunk is, is there's no such thing as right. a little pregnant. It's like okay, telling Timothy then to get just a little drunk so he can settle his stomach, that feels. Well, and I mean, if you just take it at the face value too, and you say, okay, let's let's go through all the uses of this word in Hebrew. Yeah, a, a good portion, most of them are pretty negative. Um, 
you know, yayin, looking at it here, uh, the Hebrew word for wine is often used for drunkenness, but it's used for banquets. It's used in Song of Solomon very positively. Mm-hmm. Um, it's used in the Psalms. I mean, most famously, uh, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen a man's heart. That all begin, that poetry starts with you cause. God, you cause wine to gladden the heart of man. Like you'd have to do some, as, as we call in the business, theological or hermeneutical gymnastics to try to make that not a positive thing. But I've heard it. I've heard it, you know, like, well, that it's simply describing what what happens, but not saying that God wanted it to happen. Well, from right. the context of that verse, like, it's very clear God is making things happen to help people. And one of the things he's done is create wine to gladden the heart of man. So, Right. And the reason why they did that, just to make this clear to folks why wine was used at all, you could not keep grape juice cold. So we live in a world of refrigeration. We live in a world of freezing. So we live in a world where when you take grapes off the vine and you crush them into a juice, you can put it in a container and put it away and you can keep that container from Mm -hmm. from spoiling. The problem with just putting grape juice in, say, a a wineskin and just leaving it is it's eventually going to spoil. So you have to mix something that ferments it to keep it from becoming something that would cause botulism or something worse. Mm-hmm. So the reason why you'd ferment something is actually to make it healthy for you, which is ironic to people because that doesn't make any sense today. And then if you've got something that's fermented, even if you mix that fermented thing with the water, that water now has alcohol in it. Even if it's watered down, it's still alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So we've we've tried to make something fit a modern teetotaler mindset when the Bible just doesn't push that button at all. As right. you just described, all the words of Yayin and then in the New Testament, you know, uh, what is it? Oinas. Yeah. Oinas is the the word. It, it's used of both sides, whether it's alcoholic or not. So, and, and frankly, for example, like the Good Samaritan uses wine to heal the wounds of the person who's been beat up on the side of the road. If the Good Samaritan was merely putting grape juice in their wounds, <laughs> it wouldn't actually do what the the antiseptic would do if it was alcoholic. So the alcohol actually is a help to people, which is why the word is used the way it is. And Jesus is describing these things in a positive way, not in a negative way, which also means you can do this with wisdom. We live in a world where we can trust water. So you never actually have to drink alcohol in today's world and you'll, you'll be fine, right? You can drink water from the tap without it hurting your stomach at all. So some of the things that are given to the, you know, the New Testament early church is, you know, they're, they're trying to keep them healthy. We don't need that today. We've got a totally different thing going on. So I think in the end, you know, the idea is great, wine versus grape juice, two different words, not true, but I understand why people are coming across that. Also, we have a lot more options today that are not alcoholic and that are totally safe to drink. So we don't need to consume as much as maybe they did in the past. Yeah, so so in one sense, we're going to swing the pendulum and say, stop stop making this a sin. That's the hedge around the yep. the law. Uh, that's the Pharisaical thing to do. However, we're going to swing the pendulum right back the other way and say, but there is a call in Scripture to be very careful. Like over and over again, there are warnings um, to you know Ephesians five: Do not get drunk with wine. 
but be filled with the Spirit. But then not even that, but be careful. You know, Romans 14 is describing what you do in front of other people in the, um, you know, what example if you're causing someone else to stumble. It says, you know, verse 20 of Romans 14, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is clean, but wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So there's there's opportunities for you to drink wine, to cause yourself to be drunk in, in sin. And there's opportunities for you to drink wine and cause other people to sin because of and stumble because mm-hmm. of where they're at. So there's just a there's a very clear warning. And in that to me, I take the wisdom route. I take the wisdom of I don't need this. It doesn't, it's not something that I am super interested in doing for anyone else that, that wants to do it in moderation. You know, like I said, I will go to parties, I will buy someone else beer. But for me, there's a wisdom in it where I don't wanna I wanna protect myself from that. No judgment to anyone else. Um but but that's an important thing to me. I take the wisdom route without judging others for doing it because that's not what scripture says. And we got to be real close to, or not close, we got to be right on what scripture telling us to do. Yeah, I agree. So that's good. It's helpful. All right. So that's a. Uh, Let's talk about one that's a little less helpful, but really interesting. Yeah. This is definitely PG 13, probably. Yeah. We, we, I can't forecast exactly what we're going to say, but I know the topic well enough to say we're probably going to say some things that are slightly inappropriate, at least to a younger mind. Yeah. So yeah. Just, just pause now. Listen to it later on your own. Yeah. So with a glass of wine. <laughs> I'm not making light yeah, of that. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, because that is the the rest of verse 15. This is kind of a, a spin-off. Something that would have been interesting but not you know, I don't want to take sermon time on this because it's just interesting more it, than It doesn't make or break the passage, yeah. which is why the podcast exists. Yes. So uh, makes them drunk. So we talked about that, forcing your your uh, influence or power, uh, what's, what's the word? Manipulation on other people in order to make them vulnerable, in order to gaze at their nakedness. That's an interesting phrase because it's used at least one other time in Scripture. I need to double check if it was used another time. But yeah. gaze at their nakedness is definitely used in Genesis. Mm-hmm. Genesis is at nine. I had it up it and then I, yep. I had to flip over to the other thing so I could finish that conversation. Yeah. Genesis chapter nine, verse 20. And notice wine, <laughs> wine comes up here too. Well, there's a reason this, yeah. this connection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the, okay. We'll jump into the connection. Yep. Uh, but Go first, ahead. let me just read the do, passage. Do your thing. Do your thing. Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent and Ham, the father of Cain, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, so they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine he knew and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Cain, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. And let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant, and and then uh, Noah dies. Uh, yeah, so here he's uh, laying in his tent uncovered, and Ham, it says, saw the nakedness of his father. It's the same terminology there. He he gazed upon his the nakedness of his father, and as a result, Noah's not too happy, and he curses Ham. 
I think there's probably something going on a little bit more than gazing here. And so, serve that up to lead Pastor Chris. Yeah, yeah. So Pastor Mark and I <laughs> talked about this a little bit a long time ago when we did the the last time we did a Bible in a year. He he did the same thing to me and sort of just like teed off Genesis nine to me. And I explained a few. So I have no problem going back through this, uh, but I will say we're going to go in a slightly different route because it's Habakkuk here. So what Habakkuk is saying, as you said in the beginning of the f- verse fifteen, is wine is not used in, in a proper way, right? You're getting other people drunk. And then as you get them drunk, you're going to gaze upon their nakedness. That's an interesting phrase. It is a it is a trope that is used multiple times in scripture. And what's even more interesting is Paul seems to be highlighting this in 1 Corinthians 6.13. He says, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, God will destroy them both. Then he goes on to say, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Paul sees a connection here with the physical consumption of things and then something that deals with nakedness. Do you know what I'm saying? So there's almost like there's this idea in the in the Bible of eating something and then nakedness being a bad thing. Where is the first time, Alex, that someone consumes something and then immediately is ashamed of nakedness? Oh, man. Go it's, with there's, me here. There's somewhere. Ah, oh, Genesis. So Genesis 3. Chapter 3. Genesis 3 begins this. And this I didn't go on to this with the podcast with Mark, so this is, this is kind of new info. There's this study in Scripture of eating the fruit of the tree in a way that is inappropriate, followed then by feeling ashamed by one's nakedness. So it begins in Genesis 3. And then the next time it really shows up is a more extreme version, which is Genesis 9, which we're, I swear we're going to get back to that in a second. <laughs> then you move to Habakkuk. The next time it's used, he's talking about the fact that the Babylonians are causing people to drink or eat from the tree, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then now they are using that to show their nakedness off and make it inappropriate. And then Paul says in the New Testament, well, we probably should be wise with what we eat and consume, but sexual immorality absolutely affects the body in a similar way. So let's go back to Genesis 9, then, and let, let me just unpack this for a minute since you teed this off to me, and I'll, I'll <laughs> do my best to deal with it. There are three major schools of thought as to, I sound like Dwight Schrute there, uh, but there are three yeah. schools of thought about what is actually happening in Genesis chapter 9. One would be that Ham goes into the tent and sees his father naked and begins to mock him, and then the brothers don't mock him, and that's why Noah curses Canaan. Here's what's weird about that statement. Why would Noah curse Canaan, which yeah, is Ham's son. fourth son? Yeah, It's not even Ham's firstborn. It's Ham's fourth son. So the second possibility that people have brought up, and this is what many of the rabbis hold to, is that what Ham actually does is he goes in and he castrates his father. That's the second school of thought. It's the most common in Jewish circles. And the reason for that is they are believing that what is actually happening is that Ham is attempting to circumvent his father's opportunity to have another child. And so because he takes away Noah's chance to have a fourth son, now Noah curses his fourth son. Interesting. It's, It's possible it's it's more likely, I think, than just making because if you're just making fun of your son of your dad's nakedness and then your dad curses your kid, that feels a little weird. Right. It feels a little out of out of sorts. But we go back to Genesis nine. There's 
there's an eating of the vine, right? So there's there's wine that's consumed. Noah is drunk, and then in walks Canaan, or sorry, Ham, who does something, and then Canaan is cursed. The third school of thought, and I I personally think this is the best idea because of the fact that in the book of Leviticus and and Deuteronomy, which I'm doing a Bible in a year plan with my with my wife and some friends right now, and we just finished Leviticus. <laughs> And I feel like every time I finish Leviticus, I'm just glad it's over. <laughs> but there's a whole section in the end of Leviticus that says, do not sleep with your sister-in-law, for that is your father's nakedness. Do not sleep with your sister, that is your father's nakedness. And again and again and again, there's this, it's your father's nakedness again and again and again and again and again is brought up. Um, I think it's it's sister-in-law, but I mean like aunt or, but basically the idea is, the, the idea is if your father your father's family seeing any of them naked, which clearly is more than just seeing them naked. It would be taking part in some type of sexual activity. Right. If you take part in sexual activity with someone in your family, it is it is your father's nakedness. Do not do that. It is wrong. So so your 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 mom, your stepmom, like and these rules all exist in Leviticus. And people have come to me and be like, what is going on? Yeah. Well, it's saying your family is is supposed to be the place that you only take part with your spouse. Mm-hmm. Nobody else in your family is allowed to take part in the nakedness of your family. You're with me here? Yep. Okay. Here's So here's what some think. Because that happens in Leviticus, what some have suggested is that Ham goes in and has a relationship with his mother while both of them are drunk. So Noah and Noah's wife are drunk in the tent. And now Shem and Japheth see what their brother did and cover the mom up as opposed to take advantage of her. And the way this would go then is if she became pregnant and she had a child and his name is Canaan, that's why Noah curses that's, Canaan. That's the fourth son. <clears throat> so to me, I think that's the best biblical illustration of what's actually going on here. But that doesn't have a lot to do with Habakkuk. So yeah. we, we'll move back well, to that in a well, second. But just interact with this on with me on the, the three possibilities there. Yeah, I'm just I'm <clears throat> curious. I've heard that one before, whether whether Noah's wife was drunk or not the advantage he took advantage of her Correct. and that's that's clearly the referent of habakkuk like taking advantage yeah. of people in vulnerable positions habakkuk is pushing harder because it's saying you made them vulnerable and then took advantage this appears that shem has maybe stumbled upon it but but what i'm curious about ham, that ham sorry ham. yep yep yeah um, the three the three names yeah. are hard to yeah well i'm i'm looking at the at my screen right now and i'm seeing shem and i'm just reading yeah, yeah i'm with you that ham stumbled upon it um but anyway uh what what i'm curious is so noah it says when he awoke from his wine so that seems to be like immediate not down the road if ham and his mother conceived a child right there how would he know? Or did or did he curse the child, the potential yes. child? And then when Moses is writing this down, he's just filling in the name so yes. we know who he's talking about. That's that. So that's where scholars have gone. There, there is. You need to do some gymnastics, no matter which one of these positions you take, yeah. because if you're if you're going to take the first one and you're going to say all that happened is he saw his dad naked and made fun of him, then why in the world are the harsh punishment against Canaan? Which, by the way, Canaan also becomes the main offender against the Israelites. And so the Canaanites become like the worst people in the world. And it seems like that's really inappropriate that all Ham did is walk in and be like, ha ha, dad's naked. And then all of his children get slaughtered. Like that doesn't make any sense. The second scenario of the 
the castration would make a lot of sense because it's a it's an, that's an extreme sexual sin against your father, removing mm-hmm. the chance for him to have more children. And then when you have your fourth child, your dad says, you know what, that kid's going to be cursed and that kid is cursed. That makes sense. The third possibility, the reason why I swing to that the most is there's also this strange thing that the Canaanites seem to have very, very, very large children. And there are some people who have suggested that if you take part in a very disgusting sexual act like that, you might actually reboot the Nephilim discussion from Genesis 6, which is weird. But yeah. but what it does is it also ties together then Genesis 3, 6, and 9. Yeah. And then pulls it all the way to Habakkuk and everything else. But I don't want to go into that detail yet. Yeah. Yeah. The hard, the hard thing, man, when, when you're reading biblical narrative like this, right, you're, you're trying to pick up the details but not read into the details too much, what's Correct. not said, what is said. Um, yeah, just, just following the, throw, the f- flow of the narrative. Yeah, it's really important you know what it means that he saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers. Like the the basic meaning does make it feel like he just went outside and was like, yeah, dad's naked yep. in the tent and like, but I, I can see where the invitation of the brothers is like, let's take advantage. And, and we, we today be like, that's, that's sick. Like what, mm-hmm. what uh, adult man sees his mother and is like, let's take advantage of her. But that's not, unprecedented in scripture. No. And in this case, you're the only humans alive on the planet. Yeah. I mean, clearly it says that Noah's son's wives came along on the boat along. So the, the, the scripture says there were eight in all. So that's Noah, his wife, three sons, their wives. Yeah. So that alone makes you go, okay, there are other women, but it, it's, I'm not, I'm not yeah. excusing it. It's wrong. It's wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. wrong. However, if you're the only people alive on the planet, yeah, and just more likelihood of stupidity making yeah, bad decisions. Just like, yeah, <laughs> like, and that's that's that taking advantage. That's that seeing totally. someone in that vulnerable position. Totally. And so, yeah, I think I would lean more toward that third argument too because it seems to be a better fit for the curse. Uh, yeah. And you have Shem and Japheth who walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father, like. Mm-hmm. You know, you would think also in that day and age, you would just say like, just throw a blanket on him or walk or just ignore him. But to say, hey, we need to walk backwards. That seems to be more of a nakedness of their father was not just Noah laying there. None of the rabbis take the first route of it just being seeing dad naked. Most of the rabbis take the castration route. And in my opinion, like I said, I think the text lays out the third route to be the most likely, but you have to believe the New Testament as well. Because then if you go back to what Paul is talking about, food for the body and then sexual immorality following that immediately, there's there's this connection in the scripture to don't overconsume to the point where you make really bad decisions because sexual immorality is a serious sin against your body. So taking advantage of your mother and then having your son cursed would make the most sense in my opinion. Yeah. And then there's such a connection that it's here, it's in Habakkuk. And then it's like what you're saying in, in the new Testament, there's such a connection between alcohol and sexual violence or sexual sin, immorality Mm -hmm. of any type. And I think that plays out today too. Like Mm -hmm. even though these are two separate things and that's part of the wisdom of alcohol is, is 
the overuse of alcohol is often, how, how do you say it? Maybe I should say the, the other way around. Sexual sin is often pushed further along by the overuse of alcohol. Yes. And the, so they're connected here. Mm-hmm. They're connected, Habakkuk, they're connected in the New Testament. And we can just look at our world today and see how many times alcohol has fueled sexual sin. Mm-hmm. Like maybe there's a bit of wisdom here. You know, I would say especially for, for young adults, like mm-hmm. you hear, you know, to, to throw an application at this, which we don't always do in the podcast, but to throw an application, like young adults, this is why, it, going, going back to my sermon too, there's, there's a false promise of the good life, the good college life is parties and girls and beer and like all this kind of stuff. And you just, you can just see the stereotype of like the frat house with everybody drinking and everybody doing whatever they want and taking advantage of everything. Like that is a false promise. Mm -hmm. That is a false promise of happiness, a false promise of fulfillment. All of that, those, those things are connected and that's just a place of sin and sin is not going to lead you to fulfillment. It's, gonna, it's a false promise. 